This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Hubble, spelt H-U-B-B-L. It fuses streaming and free-to-air TV into a single experience, which means you don't have to go in and out of apps to discover content you'll love. Hubble, it's TV and streaming made easy. Saturday Squeeze is your shortcut to being informed weekend style. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. This week we talk Trump's indictment and why it's a big one. We cover off on the sun bear. Is it real? Is it not real? Controversy. And Claire Treaty. Yeah, the word of the week when it comes to Aussie politics, that's for sure. Um, some very topical recommendations too. Topical in the sense of current and in the sense of topical treatment for your bathroom floors. <laughs> We've really got it all. Let's do it. <laughs> One of the wackiest stories this week, Claire, was from none other than Gwyneth Paltrow. She always delivers. (laughs) She's put her guest house at her own home on Airbnb. You can only book it for one night and she will be there. She will be there. She will be with her husband, Brad Falchuk. He's a big Hollywood producer, so two for the price of one, really. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be a whole heap of Goop products. That's her successful business that started as a weekly newsletter. When I saw this, I thought, is this an ad for Airbnb? Is this an ad for Goop? Is this an ad for Gwyneth Paltrow or is it just all of the above? I think it's all of the above. I think maybe she just wants to meet some nice people and expand her social circle. Do you really think that? No. (laughs) should see Claire's face. That was very, very sarcastic. Look, it looks absolutely lovely. So a link to check out that guest house is in your episode notes if you're interested. Onwards and still in the US, Trump and his indictment. It's the third set of criminal charges Trump is facing. And whether we like it or not, Claire, it's easy to become a bit immune to the gravity of these accusations against Donald Trump because they seem to be quite regular. This one is one not to tune out of. No, and you and I have had this chat. Mm. Why is this one something to pay any notice to? And, yeah, I get the sense of here we go again and I was trying to get you revved up and interested in this one. And I am now. And you are now. So, look, just start with the language. And, Kate, you reminded me, you know, demystifying these things, indictment is a word that keeps getting thrown around with this stuff. All that is is just a formal accusation. It's the starting point for a prosecution. The Justice Department has indicted him, so it's formally accused him of some charges. And Mm -hmm. there's also six unnamed co-conspirators. What the Justice Department is saying is that they designed to overturn the election results despite Mm. losing to Joe Biden uh, and knowing that there was no credible evidence of widespread fraud. So there's six others. We don't know who they are. So far they've not been indicted. Talk us through why this particular indictment is such a big deal. It's truly uncharted territory, and I know we say that a lot about Donald Trump, but it's just mind-blowing that a former president is facing criminal charges for trying to stop the results of a presidential election. Mm. It's just that big. Um, So there's that. But the fact that he's not just a former president either, he's actually the guy who's got a really good chance of being the candidate at the next election. That's exactly right. So Donald Trump isn't sort of done 
was president, never to be seen again. In the again. mirror. No, this yeah. guy is, is running again as a Republican candidate and he may well run again for president. Um, as with the two other criminal cases, Claire, so the other indictments, there's been two prior to this one, the experts say proving he's guilty will be a, a difficult thing to do. Mm. Those are about, and just to summarise what they are, just to remind people, one, providing hush money, two, the mishandling of sensitive documents. They're the two other indictments. This time, this third indictment, it comes down to proving Trump knew he was lying about claims of election fraud. And it's a really interesting point because, of course, Trump is entitled to lie. That's free speech. You can mm. say whatever it is that you want. Um, what those who are looking at this really closely say is it's the point where lies turn into criminal offences mm. and what they're going to have to do is prove that he didn't know that what he was saying was incorrect. There's so much politics in all of this as well, of course. Trump's supporters say this is Joe Biden's Democrats coming for him. Biden says the processes are in place to ensure there's no interference between his administration and justice officials investigating and prosecuting Trump. Good luck convincing Trump supporters of any of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. And, of course, that's part of their shtick too is just pushing back on government full stop, let alone a democratic government mm. and stitching Trump up. Um, Trump in total is facing 78 felony counts on those three different criminal cases, uh, along with several civil suits and trials that have alleged all sorts of wrongdoing, including rape. Yeah, it's a lot. And this is why it is easy to sort of glaze over and go, this is too hard to understand. But I hope we've given you a sense of why this really does matter. The primary votes to pick the Republican candidate don't start until January. Is there any chance this will all be sort of done and dusted by then? Look, the prosecution says they want to go speedy. They want to go as quickly as they can. But I don't think anyone has a real sense that it will be done and dusted by then. The ultimate question, could Donald Trump go to jail? Could go to jail. That's a very real possibility. Uh, it's always a talking point in these interviews about whether he can campaign from jail. Um, mm. So, yeah, anything could happen. Anything can happen. Claire, we had a, a fairly long list of news we wanted to cover this week, but leaning into something lighter before we get into the more serious matter of treaty, the sun bear. The sun bear seemed to be everywhere this week. It, it sort everywhere. of started trickling at the start of the week and then really hit a crescendo. Uh, <laughs> of course, we're talking about a video of a sun bear at a Chinese zoo and it went viral because this particular sun bear um, looked a lot like a human dressed up as a sun bear. You said sun bear a lot in that sentence, <laughs> but it's important. It looked so much like a human. When I saw this, I thought, for sure, this is a human dressed as a bear. But you know what I learned is that just shows how poor my knowledge of some bears is or was. I know quite a bit about them now. <laughs> yeah, we've sort of gone down that rabbit hole of interesting talking points on some bears. <laughs> it's the saggy bum that got me that yeah. made it sort of look like a suit and standing up and waving like a person. It was waving like a person would wave. Yeah. That was the thing. <laughs> what we now know about some bears is they're actually quite small. They're mm. only about five foot. They live in rainforests in Southeast Asia. They're very, very rare and it is an unusual for them to stand up like a human. Yeah, and wave like a person. Yeah. But, of course, this is in a zoo and you could see people throwing food at it as well. So it's clearly got a bit of a thing going with the crowd that comes yep. to, you know, sort of wave and beg for treats. The other thing about this one and, and kind of I didn't realise this until I got reading is that um, – some zoos have form in this regard, so it's not yeah. like this is completely unprecedented for it to be fake 
Although this one definitely was a sun bear and not a human, but there is other instances where zoos have tried to trick people. Yeah, and this bear whose name is Angela, yes. by the Sorry, way, Angela. which yes. is quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, China zoos definitely have form. Um, the one that really tickles me, I remember this at the time, 2019, a video went viral from a different zoo. Um, they had a... <laughs> It was a golden retriever and they were dressing it up like a lion. How do you think you're going to get away with that? That was hilarious. Um, also, I like the zoo in Egypt, and I think there was one in China as well that painted donkeys to look like zebras. It's just hilarious <laughs> stuff. Like, how did someone think, yeah, I reckon we're going to get away with this? You can imagine doing it too. Like, oh, that's no. a lot of paint on a little donkey. Yeah. Long story short, Angela is definitely a sun bear. It was well and truly, yes. um, well, well and truly verified to be and not a human, but a sun bear. And now we all know way too much about sun bears. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Let's talk about Treaty Cliff. Yeah. So um, we wanted to touch on this this week because it's been bubbling away in the back of politics for quite a while, but it really did come to the forefront this week with Parliament being back. Um, the focus really of Question Time has been Peter Dutton uh, and the Coalition asking questions of Prime Minister. Anthony Albanese and his team about potential treaty arrangements between the federal government and Indigenous Australians. Yeah, I guess we should start at the beginning and explain why this is a thing. So yeah. the Uluru Statement from the Heart, the resolution of 250 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leaders from 2017, is often referred to as having three parts. So voice, treaty and truth. We've been talking, of course, about the voice part a lot. Where this gets confusing is that Anthony Albanese has committed to delivering the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. What that actually means is what he's being asked about. Yeah, it was the first thing he actually said when he was elected mm. on election night. Labor commits to delivering the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. And the truth bit of that three-part equation. Uh, it refers to what's called a Makarata Commission. It's a process of agreement making and also truth-telling. The truth-telling part is really important. So governments facilitate these discussions with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The idea is that they're able to unpack a whole lot of history uh, in a way to get all of the issues on the table. And I guess to simplify the conversation around treaty in all of this, the thing that seems to concern people is this idea of financial compensation and what comes from mm. treaty, how far that extends. Those in the know and Albanese himself this week tried to make the point that versions of treaty are already happening across our states and territories and we could go into each and every one of those. There's a lot. One example is in WA. There was a deal called the 2021 Southwest Native Title Settlement. It was a bipartisan agreement. It settled a native title dispute through the setting up of a trust and the transfer of land. Many consider, for example, this a form of treaty. Yeah. And on top of that, it's important to point out that the idea of a treaty with First Nations people isn't a new one. Mm. Uh, it was back in 1988. Uh, the Barunga Statement was presented to Prime Minister Bob Hawke and it called for a treaty with the Commonwealth of Australia. Hawke actually promised to negotiate a treaty off the back of that statement and it didn't happen. That's something he says he regretted not getting sorted out. Claire, where Albanese came unstuck this week was in trying to answer the question of how the Commonwealth, so the federal mm. government, would be involved in the making of treaties. This has been a big feature of 
question time. And that's because Peter Dutton, the leader of the opposition and the coalition are really wanting to probe this point, raise questions about the voice, about the upcoming referendum and what we're voting for. Their big thing is that it isn't clear to voters what exactly the government's plans are. Yeah. So the coalition is saying we don't know that much about the voice, the ins and outs of how it's going to work. And pushing that through is linked to these couple of other things. And you've agreed to that and Mm. the Australian people need to know more. There's other nations that have treaties. That's also been talked about a bit this week with their Indigenous people. So New Zealand, Canada, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Japan, Greenland, the US, for example. Mm. When you get into what they actually are, it's an acknowledgement of Indigenous people's sovereignty. Yeah, that's the basis of it. Also a basis is some degree of self-government. But I like the description reading about this of what a treaty is. It's a marriage. It's not a divorce. The idea is it's meant to bring people together Mm. to be able to have the guidelines to work together. And uh, like what Indigenous leaders say about the voice, there's already been quite a bit of work done on it. To do that. That's right. Of course, this will all probably come up at Gama. Claire, that festival being held this weekend. We talked about that last week. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is there. He's attending. Peter Dutton has declined an invitation to attend. Yeah, he says that it's going to be a love-in for the Yes Advocates. Coming up this week, Claire, a few World Cups. Actually, Mm. firstly, the Netball World Cup has been being played in South Africa this past week. Australia are through to the semi-finals. They'll play Jamaica tonight. Claire, netball used to be dominated by Australia and New Zealand and it kind of got a bit boring for a while there. That was it. More recently, England have been very competitive and now it's Jamaica's time. Yeah, so you've been keeping me in the loop about this and saying, oh, it's all a bit fraught for the Aussies. Yeah. Um, So Jamaica beat the Kiwis, which was a big thing. Yeah. Um, the Aussies also had a shock loss on Thursday night to England and that was the first time that the Roses have beaten us at a World Cup. So it's all up for grabs and Kate Jamaica are also killing it at the Football World Cup. Yeah, there's a bit of a Jamaica sporting thing mm. going on in our episode today. So Jamaica have made it through to the round of 16, um, a nation first for both the men's or women's team at mm. a World Cup. They drew with France, they drew with Brazil, they recorded their first ever World Cup win against Panama and they're through. These are big football nations they've taken on. It's incredible. Their story really started well before the tournament. Um, They've had ongoing issues with financial support from their football federation and, in fact, turned to crowdfunding to cover the cost to come and compete. Mm. So it's just one of those incredible great stories. And now they're into the knockout rounds. They're playing Colombia on Tuesday night. They're probably not the favourites in that game, but you know what, it'll be something to watch. I'm going to cheer for them, I reckon. Yeah, they always do a great dance and reggae girls they're called. That's the other thing. Girls with a Z, love that. (laughs) Um, Enough about other nations though, Claire. The Matildas play on Monday night against Denmark. Denmark are good. It could be close but we're the favourites. I feel really invested in this. I feel really, (laughs) really, I'm going to think about it over the weekend. Monday's going to be a bit nerve-wracking. I just really want them to win. I really want them to win too. They played Denmark last in a friendly in October. We won 3-1, Claire. So our chances are Mm. good and everyone is talking about Sam Kerr 
being back at it. Oh, fingers crossed. We'll see. Yeah. Parliament's back again, of course, uh, for the second sitting week of this session. We're also heading into reporting season. Yeah, so across the coming weeks we'll see a bit of news from the big companies. They give their updates on their earnings. Uh, as you know, most Aussie companies follow a July to June financial year. Uh, it takes them a few weeks to settle their books and a part of their obligation of being a public company is to publicly disclose or to report their ins and outs of financial performance. So here we are. Uh, when we come to this week, even though it goes for all of August, uh, the big ones to look out for, Combank and AGL Energy. Yeah, and I guess all of this has an added sort of intrigue because of the economic climate. Indeed. As we've been talking about at nauseam. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll continue to. And we'll continue to. Um, obviously, travel companies are expected to perform quite well. Mm. Retail, maybe not so much. So mm. looking at how they sort of land across the financial year will be interesting. Yeah, although there's all sorts of stuff happening with supermarket margins. So, you know, it's in- it's very interesting times. We will talk about it more, mm. I am sure. Claire, other than that, it's a bank holiday on Monday for those who work for a bank in New South Wales. It's very specific. <laughs> We have friends who work in banks in New South Wales and it really gets me that they get an extra day off. It's really weird, especially when you work with them on stuff and you're like, hold on, you're not at work today. Anyway, all all the best to you. Good luck to you. Yeah, (laughs) as Claire says, it's picnic day in the NT as well. (laughs) I was like, when I saw this, I thought, why? Why is it picnic day? It's a bit hard to actually land why they have a public holiday to have a picnic. But by all accounts, (laughs) it originates back in the 1800s when the rail workers took some time off to eat and hang out near the Adelaide River to picnic. Yeah, it's a union thing. They get together with their families and have a nice time. Uh, I myself don't care for a picnic. Yeah, I. why? I don't know. I just kind of feel like for me it's about the food and transporting food (laughs) really doesn't interest me at all. And sitting on a blanket? The fridge, condiments, hot, cold. Okay. Yeah. You know you can picnic in style. Well, just go for a walk and have a chat. Yeah, okay. All right, fine. Well, I love a picnic personally, but <laughs> right, whatever. We'll agree to disagree. Let's move on. Squeeze recommends, Claire. I finally decided to read The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart. Yeah. I wish I'd read it sooner. It's an Aussie book by Holly Ringland, published in 2018, so I'm really late to this. Mm. The reason I'm recommending it this week is because I'm enjoying it a a, a lot. But more importantly, it's been made into a series on Prime. It was out yesterday. It's getting a lot of attention. Mm. But I always reckon reading a book before you watch the series is a good idea. I'm surprised you missed this. Yeah, how did that around kids? No, you hadn't had kids by then. No, I I think I was just working. You were squeezing. (laughs) Yeah, you joined the squeeze. We had your heart at work. (laughs) Completely missed it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, My recommendation is a little bit unusual. I redid my bathroom during COVID, and Kate, your parents put me up at their crash pad, which I very much appreciated. Um, Anyway. I still love the Renault, but the grout on the tile floor is a bit difficult to clean. Um, Long story short, I've tried everything Mm -hmm. and can't find an easy solution to make cleaning the bathroom floor easy. But I tried a laundry stain spray on it last week and it was magic. I am hanging off your every word. (laughs) I really need this in my life. So please tell me, what is it called? Sard's Super Power Stain Remover. It's $8. It worked. I recommend it for the laundry as well as the bathroom floor. This is not an ad. 
It's not an ad. <laughs> it's not an it ad. just gets the gunk out. You I'm know how in the bathroom, like with makeup and spray and everything, you know, coming and going, wet feet out of the shower, it can just make it really difficult. Yeah. But, yep, yeah, no, magic. I am, yeah, I'm right here for this one. Thank you, Claire. We'll put a link to all our recommendations in your episode notes. Squeeze Press, Claire, you headed to Canberra this week for the launch of a podcast called Small Business Big Impact. Yeah, so this is a unusual one for us too. Mm. So uh, that launch was at Parliament House and the reason that I went along is that we actually produced the podcast. Yeah, we did. It's a project we're really proud to be involved with. What it is is a tool for small business owners about family and domestic violence leave. And the reason it's necessary is that from the 1st of August, there's a new law that gives small business employees the right to access paid family and domestic violence leave. Yeah, exactly. So this series is about giving those small business operators tools to be able to talk to their employees Mm. about it if they need to have those conversations. Um, Also, all the information about warning signs to look for, how to talk to an employee if you think that they're experiencing it or if they come to you and need to access that leave. Um, Also talking about the broader issues of family and domestic violence and why that leave is important. Yeah, it's hosted by Gretel Colleen and you can find it in any podcast app wherever you get your podcasts. If it's something that's relevant to you, a link is also in your episode notes and if you or someone you know is affected by family, domestic or sexual violence, you can contact 1800RESPECT. Claire, that's a wrap on Saturday Squeeze this week. We'll be back next week. <laughs>